0: Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual understanding. established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what was, what I, was I suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I became its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the fullness the the word of God in all its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching one another with all wisdoms that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that you may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that you may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments, for though I am absent with you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, growing, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. "'See to it that no one take you captive "'through hollow and deceptive philosophy, "'which depends on human tradition "'and the basic principles of this world "'rather than on Christ. "'For in Christ all the fullness of the deity "'live in bodily form, "'and you have been given fullness in Christ, "'who is head over every power and authority. "'In him you were also circumcised "'in the putting off of your sinful nature.' Not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him through baptism and raised with him through your faith in God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or in regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Um, these are, uh, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for a prize for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head. "...from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use, because they are based on human commands and teachings." Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden within Christ, in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory, Do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. Um, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. "'Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. "'Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. "'Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, "'and do so not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, "'but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. "'And whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, "'as working for the Lord, not for men, "'since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. "'It is the Lord Christ you are serving.'" Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know you also have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for a message, that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Uh, Aristot... No? Tychicus. Um, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, who is um, our dear faithful brother and is one of you. Um, They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, so that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. Uh, I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke the doctor and Demas send greetings. Greetings. Send my greetings to the church at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in our house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you.
1: How about that for some work, huh? Man, the Psalms talk about burying scripture in your heart and we just got a realistic example of what's possible becky is not superhuman any one of us could do that given the hard work and the practice and the time that's what she wanted me to say and it's true it's very true wow 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 thank you well welcome back spring break Um, My spring break was spent in Cali, (laughs) Eric in the land of the sun, we were there, man, did God show up on our trip or what, I am telling you, uh, I'm sure that all of you are bursting with stories about your mission trips, those of you who are new with us, SSI is what we call our student spring impact trips, those are like ways that we spend our spring break uh, rather than vegging out in front of the TV, we go try to make Jesus famous somewhere else while there's nobody here. Um, and it's just a ride that Jesus meets us and we meet people and they meet Jesus and ah, it's great. Um, but now we're back and it's game time, right? Here. Time to make Jesus famous back here. Let's make it happen with Jesus' help. Um, let's see. Let's start thinking with an image, a culinary image how many of you like to cook? Yeah? Cooks in the house? All right. I make a mean breakfast and a decent chocolate chip cookie. Ah, I'm just going to say it. Um, but nobody marinates a steak better than my wife. Mm. Jess and I, uh, we, are, we are committed to eating sustainable beef, um, not supporting the mass market beef industry. It's just something we've decided, but we enjoy... A sustainable steak now and then. Uh, and marinades are fantastic, right? Whether you're you know, a vegetarian or a carnivore, uh, there's always something good to marinate something in, yes? Oh man, they're fantastic. You just stick the meat or the veggies in a Ziploc bag, yes? And then you put the juices and the spices and the flavors and then you just close it and you just let it sit there. And it just soaks. <laughs> oh, it's so good. And just, it just sits in the fridge. And just by soaking in the stuff, the meat or the veggies, they absorb all the flavors. And they become tender for what you're soaking it in. And then when you cook it, boom, fantastic. So, here's why I bring that up. Besides drooling all over ourselves. Um, this quarter, this quarter, we are going to soak. We are going to marinate. This is our Ziploc bag for the quarter. You ready? And the juices and the spices and the sweets and the tenderizers are what we just heard from Becky. We are going to marinate in the book of Colossians. We're just going to sit in it all quarter. Fresh and sweet. All spring, laying ourselves down, section by section, reading it from back to front. Actually, the other way around. From front to back. So that we really get comfortable with what the author, Paul, was trying to communicate to his original audience. And then from there, we're going to listen to what God's spirit would say to us as our own community. And so by the end of the quarter, we'll have soaked ourselves in the entire book. Does that sound good? Good. I think it sounds delicious. All right, now I want to I encourage you. A marinade doesn't work very well if all you do is soak the meat in the juices for a couple hours every Friday night. All right? So here's my encouragement to you. Get in there, get in this book, and soak. Read through this little book on your own time. It's only four chapters. Becky just gave us the whole version. That's, that's what, how long it would take you to read it out loud to yourself. Or to other people, you can read it together, that's fine too. So if you're having kind of a hard time um, with coming up with what to read when you spend time with God all by yourself, you could read this. Read it all the way through because it's a letter. It's meant to be heard kind of cover to cover. And then spend the rest of your time on any given morning uh, sort of soaking through, thoughtfully reflecting on on a little portion of it, like half a dozen verses. And if you did that each day this quarter... We're taking a couple breaks now, and that's fine. Saturday morning, sleep in, go for it. Um, Then you will really be enriched through this text, through this opportunity to be meat or veggie, depending on your preference, marinating in that. And here's the other thing. If you are here and you're not sure what you think about Jesus or about his movement or about his people, if you're still kind of in, like, exploration mode, you're still trying to feel feel out this, this Jesus movement, Jesus community kind of thing, What better way than to spend a quarter really exploring the source text of the whole Christian movement? If you really want to get a sense of what Jesus expects of his people, then this is our source text. It always has been, it always will be. We are always attempting to recalibrate ourselves to what's in here. And so if you want to get a good sense of what Jesus is up to, then I would encourage you to soak in this book with us. You'll, you'll find no better way to, cut, to get acquainted with what Jesus is up to in and around his people and even through his people. Okay? So, let's talk about Colossians. Now, before you, you study a book of the Bible, it's always helpful to get a good sense of the context of what it is you're soaking in. Okay? What it is you're reading. Who it was written to. Uh, why it was written. Who wrote it. Those kinds of things. Because if you miss the background or or the cultural setting of what's being said, there's a good chance that you could misunderstand the content of what's being said. A lot of people miss what's being said because they don't understand why it's being said or the context into which it's being said. Let me give you an example of how this works this out sometimes. How many of you have ever been in another country where you were unfamiliar with the cultural customs? Okay. How many of you have a funny story that jumped into your mind right now about something that happened because you didn't know social customs and you felt very silly. Yes, okay, I want to tell you a story about my mom. <laughs> That's my mom, and those are her grandkids with my strange son on the left. He's, I don't know what, I think he's, you know, it's like his dad. Every picture, like, candid pictures, just... <laughs> um, Anyway, I grew up in Kenya. My parents were missionaries in Kenya and moved there when I was six years old. When we first got there, um, my mom invited a lot of our Kenyan friends over for lunch. My mom's a hostess. She likes to host. She likes people to like being hosted. She likes people to like her. Um, that's, that's my mom. She's a wonderful lady. Uh, you would probably like her, and she would make sure you did. Um, <laughs> probably by feeding you or something. Um, anyway, so we had all these people over to our house and, and we had, it was buffet style. We had sort of a table that you could walk around and sort of get food onto your plate as you went around. And this older Kenyan gentleman came up to my mom after she had explained the, the, how to get the food and the situation I was going to work. Older Kenyan gentleman comes up to her and says, excuse me, Julie, I was a very low voice, I was wondering if you could explain to me where I can help myself. And she said, oh, sure, I have friends, can of your attention, please? George has a question about where he can help himself. As I said before, just take a plate, help yourself onto the plate as you go around the table, and 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 everyone's looking at her like, excuse me? And she and, and a friend of hers pulled aside and she goes, he wants to know where he can use the restroom. <laughs> and my mom said, Oh, just down around the corner. That's fine. Don't not around the table. That, no, sure. That's no, fine. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. My mom was shattered. She didn't understand the use of the language or the cultural context of what was being asked, so she misunderstood our dear friend. Thankfully, they laugh about it now. It's kind of a running joke in our, in our friend group in Kenya. It's pretty funny. So it's important for us to know the context of what we're reading so we can understand better what's being said, okay? Reading a letter, which the book of Colossians is, is, uh, is a lot like listening to one side of a telephone conversation. That's another reason why it's really helpful to get a sense of the context because all we hear when we read a letter is what the author of the letter is saying to the community that he's writing to. We don't really know what's going on except what we can gather from what's being said in the letter and then from sort of what scholars have deduced um, about the context that it's being written into. So we'll jump in with some context and then then we'll start chewing on the letter itself, all right? The letter was written by a guy named Paul Um, This is his profile pic from Facebook. (laughs) He identifies himself at the very beginning of the letter. um, And he was also mentoring a young man named Timothy. And they send this letter sort of together, kind of from the two of them. But really, uh, Paul's probably the main brain doing the the writing. This was kind of his deal. And he writes this letter from prison. You heard Becky mention a couple times that he was in chains. Uh, He calls himself a prisoner a number of times. Uh, But this prison sentence of Paul's is probably fairly tame. Um, Paul's in prison a couple different times in his life, and this one probably happens at the very end of the book of Acts. So if you want to look at Acts 28 to figure out what his first Roman imprisonment was like, this is probably uh, at what point the letter to the Colossians was written. Um, He was probably chained to a Roman guard. There were probably chains involved, but it was probably a very long chain, and he, he he was living kind of in a house by himself. They call it house arrest more than like jail. So, um, he's not in a cell, he can have visitors, he can write letters to the outside world, things like that, okay? So that's Paul, and that's where he's writing from. Turns out, Paul is also friends with a guy named Epaphras, which you heard mentioned in in, in Becky's recitation of the whole letter. Um, In fact, Paul probably introduced this guy, Epaphras, to Jesus at some point in their friendship. And then Epaphras, stirred by what he had learned from Paul about Jesus, went to this small city called Colossae on the, on the uh, Asia Minor Peninsula. It's modern-day Turkey. There's a lot of cities there, but there's a blue circle around the dot that would be Colossae. There's also a nearby city called Laodicea. And so you, you heard at the end of the letter that Paul says, oh, also make sure you read the letter that I wrote to the Laodiceans too. We don't have that anymore. It's a, it's a lost letter. We don't, we don't know what that said. But there were a couple different letters sent to different communities in the area. And so Epaphras founded a new Jesus community, a brand new Jesus community in this little city called Colossae, and it's to this brand new Jesus community that Paul writes. Now, why? Why does Paul feel the need for this small Jesus, this emerging Jesus community out of Colossae to receive a letter from him? What prompted this letter? It boils down primarily to two motives. Two reasons primarily why Paul thought, you know, I need to write a letter to the Colossian church, to the, to the Jesus people living and growing in Colossae. First reason, first reason why Paul wrote this letter was they are new. The Colossian community of, of God's people, the Colossian church are young, they're, they're new. They're, they're, it's a recently founded community. And so people are just getting started in their understanding of who Jesus is, which means that it's really exciting. But it's also vulnerable. This community is really excited. Their, 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 their youth re- results in zeal, which, is, which is, you know, gets them all jazzed about spirituality. But also, because of their, their newness to this Jesus movement, they're also impressionable, especially toward the culture around them as their faith in Christ is in this sort of forming, solidifying stage. Now, before we go any further, it seems to me... That as I examine this sort of, oh, this is what Colossae was like, I hear echoes of our own community in this Colossian community. That starts to sound a little bit like us. This community of CCF is almost exclusively college students, which is why I love it. College is so cool. Or at least student-aged. You're young, you're excited about what God's doing in the world, and you know that. A lot of you just came off buzz from SSI. On these mission trips, you are jazzed about what God is up to in the world, through you, even in spite of us at times. However, our community is also at risk because it's in these early stages of our faith. These first few years, for some of you, even the first few quarters, of getting really serious about Jesus. When we're just starting to sort of lay our foundations for understanding who God is, who we are, and what Jesus has to do with the whole process. That's when we're at our most vulnerable. Uh, Because if we get the foundation at all wrong on a house, over the rest of our life, the house as a whole starts to sag, starts to sink, and eventually can topple over entirely. So how you lay the first layer of your understanding is really crucial. And now is that time. This season in college, you are becoming the people you are going to be for the rest of your lives. And so it's really important that this first layer, this bottom foundation level, is steady, is solid. And if that gets wrong, then we're in danger long-term. And so that's why Paul writes to this community. He knows that. So he writes this letter to the maturing church in Colossae, and in particular, that's also why we think it has important things to say to the maturing Jesus community here at Western. All right? Okay, that's the first reason Paul writes this letter. Second reason. Second reason likely that Paul writes this letter. The spiritual culture in Colossae also is a lot like Bellingham. Here's what I mean. See, the spiritual climate in Colossae was a real hodgepodge of spiritual beliefs. Colossae was a very mixed city when it came to spirituality. Because on the one hand, you've got this old school, traditional Colossian spiritual culture which believed that the universe was governed by these sort of temperamental, unpredictable spirits like like, kind of wild angels or, or demigods. And they worshipped these spirits to sort of appease them so they wouldn't get on their bad side. And they were really invested in, in having kind of pursuing trippy encounters with these spirits and angels. Okay? In fact, the, the, the general pagan Colossian culture believed that people received a special kind of like knowledge or spiritual wisdom or, or understanding and insight from these trippy encounters. So by tapping into this sort of demigod, weird angel, spiritual, spiritual world, they could have access to higher senses of what's real and what's true. It was, it was really kind of, kind of crazy. Uh, and this, this played itself out in all kinds of ways. People started treating their bodies really weirdly, like kind of a bodily abusive self-denial uh, and the more intense you were willing to go with that stuff, the more sort of eager you were to make contact with these sort of, you know, middle ground spirits, the more you would do damage to your body. The more, the more, the more spiritual you were meant the more, like, ruthless you were with your physical, you know, appearance and, and practices and that kind of thing. It was all about spiritual stuff, engaging the spirits, and your body doesn't matter. Whatever, at Whatever cost to the physicalness of who you are, it's all about touching with the spirits and getting insight through that. And that's kind of what your everyday mainstream Colossian spiritualist believed, okay? So that's, that's one, one uh, ingredient in the spiritual melting pot that was Colossae. On the other hand, we also know that Colossae had a very large population of Jews. Sometime in the 3rd century BC, there was a, a really big population of Jews that was relocated to the Colossian region. So uh, all kinds of archaeological evidence has turned up with, with uh, evidence of synagogues, uh, with, what, which were the Jewish centers of worship. If you were a Jew who didn't live in Jerusalem, Jerusalem is like Jewish headquarters because the temple's there. If you, if you didn't live in Jerusalem, then you went to synagogue, which is kind of like the little embassy, the Jewish embassy in your city. And you could participate in, in Jewish rituals there and, uh, and, and festivals and that kind of thing. And that's what Jewish spirituality centered on. Jewish spirituality centered around celebrating certain holy days and festivals, obeying Jewish law, and really differentiating yourself from all of the other ethnicities around you by circumcision. Rather uncomfortable, but a way to differentiate yourself from the surrounding cultures. Now, so you have sort of regular Colossian spiritual life injected with Jewish uh, cultural norms. Add to this melting pot, the, add, add in, sort of injected into this mix, was this new, amazing news about Jesus Christ. Epaphras gets to Colossae, and he throws the message of Jesus into this mix. And people respond. This good news was the climax of the Jewish story, though most of them won't receive it that way, and it also flies in the face of the sort of many little gods approach of the Colossian pagan culture. So, with all these things in play, is it really any wonder that this young, growing Colossian church is vulnerable to cultural pressures? I think not. In fact, because of these competing worldviews, there end up actually being people in the Colossian church who begin to sort of of pick and choose ingredients from their favorite spiritual paths and beginning to develop and embrace uh, more of a salad bar approach to faith rather than the gospel of Jesus Christ alone which Epaphras had offered them. And smart people who write, you know, really thick books, they call this sort of combo approach that, was, that the Colossian church was experiencing, they call this the Colossian heresy. I call it the salad bar approach to faith. <laughs> Instead of having a faith that's centered on Christ, they're starting to include all their favorite flavors from the competing worldviews in their city. Now, that sounds a lot like the culture on a college campus, doesn't it, right? I talk to all kinds of students who take this sort of salad bar approach to to truth, to reality. Yeah, there's cool things in Buddhism. I like some of what Jesus says. The Dalai Lama knows what's up too. And oh, yeah, Gandhi. Oh, Gandhi. Great guy. He was. I mean, that's what we hear though, right? We hear this sort of, this collectivism about spiritual paths where people kind of choose their favorite parts. And what's risky for people who follow Jesus now in our culture is that we are barraged by our culture to live that way. That is the going cultural norm. We are so pressured to pick our favorite parts from the Jesus stories and to fill in the gaps with what our culture says you should be comfortable with this. Think about it. These are the kinds of things that I hear running through my own mind, that I hear running through other students' minds. I like it when Jesus cleans up my life, but when he tells me what to do with my money, I'd rather pick the independent American ingredient so I can have what I want. Or this one. Sure, I enjoy Christian community and friendship, and I'll totally let my brothers and sisters speak into my life, except when it comes to my girlfriend. In that area, I want the individualist ingredient. So we do what we want, because it's not anybody's business what I do in private. Or, in another way, we mix the ingredients of following Jesus in with the constitutional ingredient of our right to pursue our own happiness. And we assume that what will make us happy, what will make us most happy is the highest likelihood of what God actually wants us to do. Where I will be the most happy, that is the most likely, that is most likely what God wants me to do. It gets difficult when we start speaking about things like crucifixion. See, the Colossians thought that they were growing up because they were picking and choosing what to believe in, and calling it all kind of Christianity. So it's into this situation that Paul writes them this letter from Rome. There's a delegation from the church at Colossae that comes to Paul and says, Paul, here's the situation. What do we do? Paul says, ah, let me write you a letter. And he sends them home with, with Tychicus and, and these different, these, this different crew that's going to travel around to the different churches in that area. That's the, the situation that Paul writes this letter into from Rome. So, with all that background in mind, this will be good to keep in mind for the whole quarter. Because you see, as you th- see things come up, as we go section by section through this text in, in, in the scriptures, you'll realize, oh yeah, that's hooked into what, what the Colossians were dealing with. Oh yeah, that's kind of the thing that Paul was talking about before. You can color the context of what we're going through each week. You can apply the things that, you've, that, that we've learned so far. Okay? All right. So, all that background, let's dig into the text. Right. In the first eight verses of the letter, in the very first eight verses, Paul introduces himself and celebrates all the good things that he's heard about the Colossian church, which I think is cool. There's a high likelihood that Paul does not know this this community personally. He's probably never visited Colossae, but he knows and is friends with their leaders. And so he says, hey, I, you know, I, I, I don't know you guys, but these are the things that I've heard that are really exciting about your community. In particular, he draws attention to their faith, their hope, and their love. And for those of you who've read other parts of the New Testament, all kinds of bells are going off in your mind, right? Those are the three virtues that show up over and over again in, in, in the affirming sense. These are the things that the Christian community, that Jesus' people should be marked by, faith, hope. And love. For those of you who've read sort of 1 Corinthians 13, which is kind of Paul's anthem to love, which is just fantastic. Uh, those are the virtues that he elevates the most, faith, hope, and love. There's a, a New Testament historian named N.T. Wright. And he says, these are the three main features of Christian living. The faith with, which reaches out to grasp what God offers in Jesus Christ the love that binds the community together, and the hope that looks eagerly forward to the time when God completes what he began in Jesus. I've often wondered, if Paul were to write us a letter, if he were to write a letter to the Jesus community of CCF at Western Washington University, what do you think he would affirm about our community? In fact, let's do that. Take a couple of minutes, turn to the person next to you and tell them some things that you think our community would be affirmed for by Paul. We're not a perfect community. We've got a whole bunch of messes going on, but there are some things that I think we do well. And sometimes it's nice to just take stock of, where are we. Lord, where are you proud of us? So turn to the person next to you and share some things that you think we are, we would, Paul would affirm in our community. And here's the deal. If this is your first time being here, you can totally do this what have you heard right what 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 what, as an outsider coming in, as a new person kind of exploring this what have you heard about this community that you think paul would mention in the letter what are some things you came up with what do you what do you think if paul were writing a letter to us before he got to the corrective bits what parts would you you say this is where jesus is proud of you you look and sound like him what Outreach. outreach right on Tackle of tough topics. Yeah, at CCF we kind of duck, you know, the difficult issues, dance around them. No, we don't do that. <laughs> Feels, like home. Huh? Feels, like home. Feels like home here. Right on. Ooh, yeah. Right on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our desire to reach out. Ooh, that's good stuff. One more. Oh, that was two. We'll go two. What? Strong faith. Strong faith. Rooting in Scripture. Excellent. Excellent. Right on. Amen. I think so too. So Paul draws uh, our attention first to the notion of faith, hope, and love. And then after that, he continues his introduction and mentions how the same good news that came to you, Colossae, is going out all over the world. In other words, you are not the only ones who care about this stuff. You are not the only ones who have been changed by it. You are not the only ones engaged in the project. It's happening all over the world. And that is true. It it is as true today as it was then. Jesus is on the move all over the world. That's one of the bennies of going on, on SSI, right? You get to see Jesus in motion. Doing the actual work of God. That's a science, I joke. Yes, check. One of the things, one of the many things, but one of the things that convinced me personally that the Jesus movement was worth attaching my life to was that it isn't anchored in a particular culture or country or demographic. I grew up in a multicultural context, and I was super turned off by cultural privilege, by things that said, unless you're like our culture, you don't fit. And when I discovered that Jesus was an all-comers king, when I discovered that the Jesus movement is articulated in every language that's available to human beings, when I discovered that there is no country that, 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 that is, that it, where the message of Jesus is not welcomed by the human hearts, whether they are by the political regimes or not, I was hooked. That was one of the things that hooked me. The Jesus movement is multiracial, multigendered, multilingual, multilingual. And has influenced every culture it comes into contact with. Jesus is on the move now in the country of Jordan. One of the countries we pray for in this community. He is on the move now in Sri Lanka. Another country that we pray for in this community. Live Jesus movement stuff is happening. Well, maybe not right now because they're probably asleep. Time zone difference. But in the near future. It's marvelous. Then we get to verses 9 and 10. And frankly, if you want a theme passage for the whole letter, these two verses. These are the verses to remember that give shape to the rest of the letter. Paul will say these two verses a half a dozen more times in different ways. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Paul is addressing a maturing community of believers, inviting them to refuse the cultural pressures of the temptation to believe a bunch of different stuff at the same time. And if you've noticed, everything Paul says in his intro, as you, as you guys go home and read it uh, over the weekend, everything he says in his intro is couched in prayer, in the language of prayer. It's all expressed in terms of, this is how we have been praying for you. Now well, that is cool. We should do that. We should tell each other how we are praying for each other. And not, and not, not like in general terms, oh, well, that's okay, I'm praying for you, I'll pray for you. But specifically, what would it be like? To pray things like, hey, I am praying that God would give you the complete knowledge of His will. I am praying that specifically for you. Let me know when it happens. Wouldn't that be cool? We should do that. Now, what is Paul praying for, for the Colossian community of Jesus? He asks God, he says, to fill them with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, Now the buzzers start to go off. Remember the cultural context of the city that he's writing to. Look how his prayers fly in the face of what the Colossians are tempted with. He says they want knowledge and spiritual wisdom and understanding, right? That's like the Colossian thing. They're all about special wisdom and spiritual insight because of their connection with the demigods, right? That's what the Colossians are all about. But Paul says they've got their sources screwed up. I, I pr- we pray that God would fill you with the knowledge of his will. Paul says, I don't hope you have the kinds of knowledge or spiritual wisdom that you think come from these sort of trippy encounters with the spirits. I want you to have the kind that comes from God. Go to him for that stuff, not the broader pagan Colossian culture or the Jewish influences around you. See, even in his prayers, he's already beginning to correct and confront and shepherd the community in the way he wants to go. Paul is clever. He's already uh, confronting gently through language of prayer the salad bar approach to spiritual truth. Now, Paul knows that the journey ahead for the Colossian church, the journey of resisting culture and of embracing the centrality of Jesus, Jesus plus nothing in that sense, Paul knows that it's going to be difficult. Because cultural pressure to conform, to pick and choose which parts of Jesus we're going to take seriously and which parts of our culture we're going to listen to instead is very real. It was then, it is now. That's why he keeps praying. In verse 11 through 14, it says this, We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. Because he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. And transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Paul knows that it will take endurance And patience to keep ourselves from mixing cultural spirituality with the whole truth that Jesus preached, centered on himself, that he alone, that Jesus alone has to offer. In fact, that's what Paul closes, this opening section of his letter to to the Colossians. That's what he closes with, a reminder of what Jesus alone offers. To every person in this room, to every person on this campus, to every person who's ever lived. This is why we sing the songs that we sing. This is what God has done. He has rescued us from the domination of darkness. And brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. If you are here tonight and you would not call yourself a Christian... You just heard in two verses the whole reason we follow Jesus. Before I got serious about my relationship with Jesus, I was under the dominion of darkness. I was dominated by darkness, bad choices, wicked choices that weren't just mistakes to learn from, from my end, because they splashed out on other people and did damage around me. Nothing I did was just personal. And the choices that I made... Had a hold on me that I couldn't shake. And God has rescued me from that. He is rescuing me from that. You hear Christians talk about getting saved. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. God is saving me from my addiction to pornography. From my overinflated sense of ego. And my terrible insecurities. About being liked by everybody. And through Jesus. He forgave me for everything I ever did. And I'm still in process. I'm still in recovery. And Jesus has sworn to finish what he started in me. And that's what he offers every single person on our campus. And Paul can't even keep a lid on it. Read the next section. (laughs) Paul goes into detail about the work of Jesus to make this rescue possible. And he just sings. You've got to read it. It's this epic anthem of what Jesus has done. We'll get there in a couple of weeks. Slow down, mumbler. It is phenomenal. It is one of the finest moments in the text. And we will talk about it in two weeks, but read it ahead of time. And sing with Paul. Sing with him as he celebrates what Jesus did. Whoa, oh, it's so good. Okay. you Get ready. This book is good. Here's how I think we should end tonight with, but set the tone for the rest of the quarter with. Whenever you marinate in a certain part of Scripture like we are this quarter... There are, there are certain themes that Paul draws our attention to. There are certain things that are repeated that you'll notice. The more you read it, the more you think, okay, these are, these are the things that are sort of popping up over and over again. Oh, Paul said this before. He said this before. He said this before. Okay. It's obvious that Paul wants the Colossians to get the point. The likelihood is very high that he wants us to get the point as well. And as I prayed about the opening to this letter, I asked Jesus what we should emphasize from it for our own community today and for the rest of this quarter. What stuck out to me was Paul's prayer for this community, his prayer life towards and for and on behalf of the community he was writing to. In verse 3, Paul says, We always pray for you. Verse 9, We have not stopped praying for you. Verse 11, And we also pray for strength, etc., etc., etc. This introduction. To a letter that lays out what a mature community of believers looks like, starts with the example of prayer for the community and for the mission that community is on in their city. And I think, I really think that the Spirit of Jesus has started stirring something like that in our community. Nash, you still having your morning prayer meetings? Yeah, what time? Who's welcome to come? 7 a.m. prayer in Nash. BT. BT. What time? 7.30. How many days a week? Who can come? Wait, wait. Only some? What did you say? Oh, okay. Just making sure I heard you. It is time to start elbow, elbow rooming some more space to pray together for our community, to pray together for our campus. Because I think Jesus is up to something. And I think his spirit is stirring his people to pray. Paul knew that faith, hope, and love grow in a community as he prays for it. He actually believed that his prayers resulted in faith, hope, and love in the church in Colossae. So he says, we pray for these things, that they would happen. Paul also knew that this rescue project... The rescue project of Jesus and his people breaching the kingdom of the things that destroy our lives to transfer people to the kingdom of Jesus only happens as we pray for it. And if you're still exploring Jesus, tonight would be a great time for you to experiment with prayer. What would happen if you said, God, if you're real, show up in my life. You can even say, dear God, because that's how some Christians begin their prayers. Dear God, if you're out there, show up in my world. Not in sort of a, of a test, sort of like, oh, I'll, I'll believe when I see it kind of thing, but, a, but an exploration. Jesus, if you are real, then I want to know you. And if you will show up in my life, I'll follow you. I dare you to pray it. If you are genuinely interested in In meeting Jesus, know this. He was publicly executed for your freedom to forgive your sins. You think he's going to hide from you? And for the rest of us, let's pray for our community. Let's pray for our campus. Let's ask Jesus to show up in the lives of our friends and our classmates and our professors. Let's pray that God would build in us, in our community, faith, hope, and love. The willingness to risk because we trust God ruthlessly. The willingness to have a a bigger vision than what is right in front of us. A trajectory of what Jesus could do. Hope and love. A reputation for how we treat each other. A reputation for how we treat other people on this campus. A reputation that our community has by the way we interact. Let's pray these things into happening. Because when we pray, God starts to reach into our chest and starts maneuvering dials. We start being transformed to be like him. So we're going to end this time in prayer. Let's have just a couple of you loudly pray for the next five to ten minutes. Pray so we can all join in. And here's here's my invitation. Pray the prayers in Colossians. Get your Bibles out and pray the kinds of things. Use Paul's words. You're allowed to, to plagiarize. Everything I've ever taught is totally ripped off from smarter people. Like, you got to know that, okay? You're allowed to quote this if you want to. Let's pray for our community and for our campus the way Paul prayed for the city of Colossae and God's people in there, okay? And, then I'll, pray, and I'll close this in prayer when it seems like we're done.